Tēnā koea, nau mai, haere mai, my name is Will Appleby and welcome to Animal Matters. Today on the show I will be joined by Emma Hurst, a Member of Parliament for the Animal Justice Party in New South Wales, Australia. The Animal Justice Party is Australia's sole party dedicated to issues impacting animals. They of course have policies and advocate on positions outside of the animal welfare space, but they're the only party with animal rights at their core. Aotearoa doesn't have a dedicated animal rights party. Of course, the Green Party is widely considered the leading voice within New Zealand's party on animal issues, but of course they're primarily an environmental and social justice party. Our political system doesn't lend itself well to minor parties and special interest groups, so I was keen to get Emma Hurst's perspective on Australia's political system and how her party has built itself a political platform. So, without further ado, here is my corridor with Emma Hurst, Member of Parliament for the Animal Justice Party. Well, Emma, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm really excited to have a chat with you because we don't have a dedicated animal rights uh, political party in New Zealand. Um, so, I, I reckon this would be really interesting. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So to begin with, could you give us an overview of the Animal Justice Party, your history, what your key policies are, um, and and how many elected representatives that you have? Certainly. So uh, the Animal Justice Party was founded in Australia in 2009. The first New South Wales election we ran in, um, we, we actually got a member elected. Um, in the second round, we got um, a member in Victoria elected. And in the third round, we got the second, uh, a third MP, which is me, um, elected into New South Wales. So we now have two MPs in New South Wales state and one in Victoria. And we also have two councillors in Victoria as well. So the party keeps growing and getting bigger and bigger. And we've got um, council elections coming up in New South Wales. So we're very hopeful to get some more council representatives there. Um, and look, we really were founded because, you know, there was a lot of people in the animal movement here in Australia that just felt that, you know, animals weren't being properly represented through the parliamentary system. Um, you know, that there was the Greens Party, and I know you guys have a Greens Party there in New Zealand, but their primary focus is the environment and, and on human rights, which are fantastic causes, but nobody was really dedicated to animals. And certainly here in Australia, you know, we're still live exporting animals overseas. Um, the majority of eggs are still coming from battery cages. We actually banned greyhound racing and then there was a big backflip. So people were feeling really frustrated with the political process and the lack of representation for animals. Um, so that's how the party started. Um, federally, you know, our focus is obviously around things like the live export industry. I know New Zealand's had a bit of a win there um, and successful movement. But here in Australia, you know, with our Deputy Prime Minister, we've now got Barnaby Joyce, who's a National Party member. And, you know, the last time he was the Deputy Prime Minister, he was pushing to increase the live export of animals. Um, so we're in a really dangerous position there federally. And then state-based, you know, we focus on all animal protection laws and environment laws because obviously there are a lot of animals that live and rely on that environment as well. 
So we focus on animal agribusiness, um, but we also look at laws that um, are failing to protect companion animals, animals used in medical experimentation, animals that are being used uh, for clothing, um, and also wild animals and protecting animals and species. So since really, you know, 2014, um, in a span of about five to six years, you've gone from having no representatives in, in state governments to having three. What do you think has been a part of that, you know, monumental growth? Look, I think that a lot of the growth has, has come from that real frustration within that political system. So I think that a lot of people have you know, with that backflip um, on the greyhound racing, with the lack of action on live export, with, um, you know, we've got a, a real issue here in Australia with the koalas and with koalas, you know, potentially looking at extinction in the next 30 years. And I think that people within the community are becoming more and more aware of these animal protection issues and they're getting more and more frustrated the governments aren't acting on them. Um, and that's actually given us the power to be elected within Parliament. You touched on a point before regarding uh, the, the Green Party in Australia, which uh, I assume has some policies for uh, for the protection of animals, but not nearly as, as far forward as, as yourselves. And you're right, we've got a Green Party in New Zealand, which is probably our leading voice in Parliament for, for animals, but we don't have a dedicated animal rights party in New Zealand. And I, I wonder whether the structure of our government systems in comparison to Australia is part of the reason. For example, minor parties in New Zealand um, have always found it, found it very difficult to um, build a political platform or so-called single issue parties find it very difficult to build a po- political platform. Whereas in Australia, you've got uh, federal government as well as state governments, which we don't have here. Do you think that Australia's system of government makes it easier for parties like the Animal Justice Party to build that political platform? Look, it absolutely does. Um, and but, but it's interesting on the flip side, we also end up with uh, political parties like the Shooters, Fishers and Farmers also having representation in Parliament. So, you know, you've got this really strong crossbench in New South Wales and obviously we've got you know, that Senate, that upper house, and then the lower house. Um, so the lower house it represents, you know, different electorates. But the upper house, we end up with uh, One Nation. We've got the Christian Democrats, which are focused on religion. We've got the Shooters, Fishers and Farmers Party. Um, but we've also got um, a strong a strong green vote in the upper house and also the Animal Justice Party as well. But what that really allows to happen, and, and in Queensland, it's a, it's a really good, um, I guess it's kind of a little bit more similar to New Zealand as well. So Queensland only has the lower house. But what happens when there's only a lower house is that, you know, the government just puts through whatever legislation that they want. And it's very difficult for even the Greens in Queensland to put up any changes because their numbers aren't needed for things to pass. So they can often just be ignored by governments who just want to shove through legislation. Um, Whereas here in New South Wales, if they put up legislation, it comes to us and we're really considered the House of Review. And so because they don't have the numbers in the upper house to just slide through legislation, we get the opportunity to actually scrutinise that piece of legislation, suggest amendments. Sometimes it will go to a committee process where, you know, you get members of the community who are concerned about that piece of legislation to discuss their concerns. And look, it's very frustrating for the government, but 
you really end up with a much stronger piece of legislation because, you know, different views from society have been included and considered in that final piece. Um, it's still not always perfect. You know, we might not have the numbers on, on certain issues that we want to see through, um, but it does allow for a much stronger piece of legislation in most situations. And certainly that's where, you know, where we've only got two MPs, um, but because we're in the upper house, we can often, you know, for me personally, if I wanted to get an amendment to a piece of legislation, um, I need to get, and if I don't have the government support, I need to get um, Labor on side, the Greens on side, and then one other member of the crossbench. And then we've got the numbers to pass an amendment, for example. And so that's where we've been able to get quite a few wins for animals. Animal rights and, and veganism can be considered quite radical by by mainstream audiences and it kind of is when you think about it you know the vast majority of people eat and consume animal products so to 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 be a vegan is kind of a you know for lack of a better term a radical position Uh, but what's your what's your experience been like working with elected representatives from other parties who might think your views perhaps are quite fringe um, look, it's been quite interesting, really. Um, I mean, look, I sort of focus on two different areas. So I work on a whole lot of legislation where somebody just needs to push the bar, where we need to put issues on the table for discussion. But I also work in areas where I know that we can get legislation success. So one of those areas, for example, is uh, tougher penalties for acts of animal cruelty. So in New South Wales, we had some of the lowest penalties for animal cruelty right across the country. Um, It was a maximum fine of $5,500 for animal cruelty. Um, So you can see how poor that legislation was in New South Wales, and that's how the Animal Justice Party got elected. But, um, you know, when we were able to push that issue forward and we were able to get the majority of people on side, and most people, you know, animal rights in that sense is not a left or right issue, and we're talking particularly about animal cruelty. Um, and so we ended up getting eightfold increases in penalties, um, at double jail time, and that really solidifies um, animal cruelty as a very serious crime in New South Wales. And so that's really important, and, of course, that's across the board, so that includes farmed animals and companion animals. Um, the other area that we worked on really closely with the government actually was in the space of domestic violence and animal abuse. So my background's actually as a psychologist. And so we created a whole suite of legislative reforms in that space um, that recognised animals as victims of domestic violence, included animals on apprehended domestic violence orders that came from the police. And we also got money to refuges to upgrade their facilities so that they could house animals um, that were also fleeing violence um, with survivors who are actually leaving violent situations. Um, but sometimes it's that sort of work, and, and this is still major benefits for animals and major areas of legislation that have been overlooked, um, that really build some of those relationships with, with other teams. And then when we start to bring in some of the other concerns that we have, they're more likely to, and willing to sit at the table with us and to discuss those things. Um, look, there's still major barriers, but I do think that, you know, it's it's sometimes it's a matter of on some of those more difficult issues, just pushing um, pushing that bar along and, and getting people to think about some of these issues. Because a lot of the people um, that I have to deal with in Parliament have never heard of these things. In my inaugural speech, I talked about uh, male chicks being macerated in the egg industry and, 
uh, calves being taken from their from their mothers in the dairy industry. And a lot of MPs actually came up to me after that speech and said, I had no idea those things were going on. So sometimes it's just getting them to open their eyes and start to think about some of these issues. Mm, yeah. And I suppose just the act of, of, of being there as a representative, you know, exposes um, some of those other MPs to ideas and thoughts that they weren't you know, exposed to previously. And, you, you know, you, I think you made a great point before about, um, you know, some of these issues, especially animal cruelty, it doesn't matter where you are on the left or right, isn't it? Most people can agree that um, animal cruelty is wrong. So is that something where, um, like, if you, if you felt like there's perhaps specific parties or representatives where you've seen a real change in their attitude towards animal justice after working on some of those issues? Yeah, look, I think that, Probably what shocked me the most was part of that conservative crossbench that have actually listened to a few animal issues. Um, you know, the Christian Democratic Party has become more and more involved in some animal protection issues, um, whereas we probably stand uh, in completely different positions in regards to um, human rights issues. So, you know, I, I have been quite surprised at people willing to talk about these issues, um, at least on a personal scale. And I know that a lot of them are sort of hamstrung by their parties and, and by their party's policies. But um, it's certainly started those conversations. And, uh, you know, look, our biggest issue in New South Wales is probably the National Party. So we've got a Liberal National Government. It's a coalition. Um, and the National Party are you know, a very small minor party, but they've built that coalition with the government. But, you know, essentially they represent animal agribusiness and that's what makes it very, very difficult um, to get change in that specific space. Could you tell us about some of the successes you have had since being elected? You've you've just noted one, which is incredible, actually, the, um, you know, the increases of penalties for animal cruelty. Um, what sort of other successes have you had? Um, so as part of that um, increase in penalties, we also managed to get through um, a ban on um, people working or having animals in their care if they've been charged for serious animal cruelty or bestiality. Um, shockingly, there wasn't even currently a provision in the Act that allowed courts to give an animal ban for, for people that were charged under those offences, but we actually flipped it and made it a mandatory lifetime ban uh, for anybody charged under those offences because we want to make... And it's actually... It's not meant to be a, a punishment. It's actually meant to be a, a protective order to make sure that animals are protected from people who are committing these types of acts. Um, we've also um, managed to get some regulations through which effectively ban the use of cetaceans in enter for entertainment here in New South Wales. Um, so we had one dolphinarium left and we got an inquiry up where I was the deputy chair and we ended up getting a recommendation um, that we shouldn't be breeding any more animals into this industry. We shouldn't be importing any from other states. So that effect, we already had a ban from for wild capture of these dolphins. Um, so that effectively ended the industry here in New South Wales, which makes Queensland now the only state in Australia which is still breeding dolphins in captive entertainment industries. Um, we've also we also got um, some changes to strata bylaws. So strata um, was allowed to effectively create blanket bans 
on buildings from people from having animals and they could do that at any time. And we were hearing horror stories. Um, you know, there was one elderly gentleman and the Strata Committee decided to create a blanket ban. He'd been living there. He owned his apartment. He'd been living there for many, many years. And just as COVID lockdowns were starting, he was told that he would either have to get rid of his companion um, or sell his property. And I mean, I mean, it was horrific incidences like this that we needed to make sure that uh, stratas couldn't create blanket bans on entire buildings um, and stop people from having animals. And of course, we know that there are a lot of animals in pounds that need rescuing and, and many loving homes where people have quite large apartments or townhouses and they can actually take in animals that are suitable for those properties. You know, we don't want um, blanket bans actually stopping people from being able to bring an animal into their home um, and rescue and save a life from those situations. So we had those um, blanket bans stopped as well. We've also been working with councils here in New South Wales and we've got regional groups set up um, within New South Wales with a lot of volunteers and we've been working with councils. So we've now got six councils also to ban the sale of fur within that council area as well. What sort of um, political barriers do you face to make progress on, on your goals? I, I touched on this a little bit when I talked about the National Party, um, and I'm not sure New Zealand might have a very similar situation, but our agriculture minister also has the portfolio for animal protection. Um, so that's a National Party MP here in Australia. Um, but, I mean, this is a clear conflict of interest. Um, obviously, the minister that's in charge of primary industries and making sure that primary industries are financially successful shouldn't also have the portfolio for animal protection because often those two things are the opposite of each other. And what we find here in New South Wales is that whatever primary industries wants, primary industries gets. And so if animal agribusiness wants to keep uh, hens in battery cages, then, you know, that gets pushed through. Um, you know, one th- a bill that my colleague Mark Pearson put up recently was just looking for mandatory pain relief for really extreme and painful procedures for farmed animals. And of course, the animal agribusiness industry rejected that as well. Um, and so what you see is a minister that is in charge of animal protection, ignoring animal protection issues if the animal agribusiness industry is not interested in making those changes. And that's hugely problematic. Um, and I've found that, you know, a lot of other places around the world, it's not the agriculture minister that actually has the portfolio for animal protection. It could be somebody else, particularly like the, the minister for environment, for example, that doesn't have that really strong conflict of interest. So one thing we need is to move that portfolio of animal protection. But the other massive barrier that we have is, you know, that the weak laws that do exist are really set up to fail. Yeah, animal cruelty legislation is the only piece of criminal legislation in our country that is upheld by private charities. And the government in New South Wales only covers 6% of the costs of investigating um, and prosecuting animal cruelty. And the rest has to be fundraised from the public, which is absolutely absurd. It, It means that you know, the weak legislation that's there has almost no chance of actually being upheld properly. Um, so we need an independent office of animal protection and we need um, the investigation and prosecution of animal cruelty acts um, to be fully funded by the government. Um, I mean, just to give an example of how absurd this is, I mean, imagine if 
the police had to organise fun runs to be able to raise enough money to investigate drug labs or drink driving. Um, it, it's really quite absurd, this system that we've got at, got set up. Um, you know, you've got an agriculture minister that probably doesn't want to make any kind of changes to protection laws that will meet the community expectations in those spaces. Um, and then you've got a private charity trying to uphold those weak laws that already exist and clearly struggling to do so because they don't have the funding and they have to actually fundraise to be able to uphold the law. I recognise so many similarities of what you've just said to the New Zealand situation. It's um, it's quite interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, we have the same issue with the um, Agriculture Minister. Um, it's been slightly shifted away. Um, there's now... There's the Agriculture Minister and the Associate um, Agriculture Minister, and that Associate has responsibility for animal welfare now, but it's still the same sort of agriculture portfolio, isn't it? So what's next for the Animal Justice Party? What policy goals are you currently pursuing? Um, look, our, one of our really big focuses right now is puppy farming. Um, it's becoming a really urgent issue here in New South Wales. Um, in Victoria, um, one of our neighbouring states here in Australia, they've recently brought in a whole lot of regulations that essentially outlaw puppy farming. Uh, WA is looking at bringing in similar legislation. And what that means in New South Wales, we have the weakest legislation that protects companion animals in, in the country. And so a lot of these puppy farmers are simply moving across the border into New South Wales. And we've now got hundreds of puppy farms. And what I mean by a puppy farm I mean, there is absolutely no limit on the number of dogs any one facility can have. So you can have 600 female dogs, you know, living in kennels and there's no limit on the number of litters they can have. So they could be pumping out litter after litter for their entire lives. Um, you know, that's puppy farming. And so we're bringing in legislation. We're really struggling to get the Liberal National Government on board with this. Um, but certainly the media is on side and the public's on side and we have got um, Labor support and the Greens support and I do think we might get some of that those Conservative crossbench members on side with this as well. So that's going to be a major focus of ours. We're also looking at introducing a suite of legislative changes around child protection. Um, so I actually, um, through some of the work I was doing, found out that a man that had been charged with very serious animal cruelty was running a petting zoo, which was visiting childcare centres. And when I spoke to the Children's Guardian um, about how this could be possible, we found out there were all these gaps and issues with the working with children's check system. So we want to make sure that people who are charged with high-level offences of animal cruelty aren't able to pass working with children's checks. Um, and we also want to build in a new offence um, that recognises the damage um, an act of animal cruelty does when it's in front of a child. Um, so we want to bring in a new penalty where if an act of animal cruelty is committed in front of a child, that that in and of itself is a new offence. Um, and the other space that we're working on is animals that are being used in medical experimentation and just the absolutely um, hidden nature of this industry you know, we've put up legislation to mandate that cats and dogs um, be offered up for rehoming at the end of experimentation. The government wouldn't support that. Um, but we're building on that campaign much bigger. We had some baboons that actually escaped medical experimentation uh, just over a year ago now. And so that really sort of brought the issue to the forefront and got people thinking about the fact that, you know, primates are used in medical experimentation, cats and dogs, um, but also highlighting some of the really cruel 
um, experiments that are happening here in New South Wales, um, forcing mice to smoke cigarettes through plastic tubes, um, forced swim tests where animals are dropped in, um, you know, plastic containers and, and forced to swim. It, you know, it, it's, it's really quite hideous and I think we really need to lift the lid on that. Um, so we're working on some legislation that will um, increase transparency, defund taxpayer-funded research because we believe that taxpayers probably aren't aware that their tax is being used to fund these experimentations and also to get uh, companion animals the right to be released as well at the end of research so that um, you know they get a chance to actually live in a loving family as well. I mean, there's a lot of work that needs to be done in that space, but um, we're just starting to work on that legislation and to, to really um, drive home the changes that are needed. Mm. Um, look, Emma, it's an absolute pleasure to speak with you and inspiring as well. You know, um, it's it's so great to see a dedicated political party that is dedicated to improving the lives of animals. Uh, so thank you for the work that you do and thank you for, for chatting with us today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to Animal Matters. This podcast is brought to you by Safe for Animals, New Zealand's leading animal rights organisation and produced by myself, Will Appleby. Make sure you subscribe to stay across Animal Matters on whatever your favourite podcast platform is. If you're listening on Apple, please leave a rating as it helps other listeners to find the show. Until next time, Matewa.